to Stage Door Sessions by Broadway Direct. In this podcast, we have in-depth conversations with Broadway's brightest, bringing you what's new, what's noteworthy, and what's coming next to a stage near you. I'm your host, Elisa Gardner, and this season, we'll be looking at how the Broadway community is coping in the wake of COVID-19. The coronavirus hit New York hard, just as the 2019-20 season was reaching its busiest period for openings, and what was at first supposed to have been a pause of several weeks turned into what is shaping up to be a roughly year-long hiatus. We'll be speaking with some of the artists and insiders who have had to persevere after specific projects were delayed and who have sought to keep connected to fans and to each other. Our first guest is Andre Bishop, who has been artistic director of Lincoln Center Theater since 1992 and its producing artistic director since 2013. Before joining LCT, Andre served as artistic director and literary manager at Playwrights Horizons, where his productions included the Pulitzer Prize-winning works The Heidi Chronicles, Driving Miss Daisy, and Sunday in the Park with George. At Lincoln Center Theater, he has developed new work and encouraged new artists through a series of workshops and readings and helped launch and nurture initiatives such as the LCT3 program dedicated to producing the work of young writers, directors, and designers, the education program Open Stages, and LCT's Directors Lab, which supports about 100 young directors each year. His work with American writers spanning generations of talent has included new plays by Horton Foote, A.R. Gurney, Christopher Drang, John Guare, Andy Wasserstein, Richard Greenberg, John Robin Bates, Sarah Rule, J.T. Rogers, Dominique Morisot, Samuel D. Hunter, and Antoinette Wandu. The new Beaumont New Play Commission program will commission new plays specifically for the Vivian Beaumont Theater, LCT's Broadway house, with Lynn Nottage, Brandon Jacob Jenkins, and Marco Ramirez being the first commissioned playwrights. The works of all three dramatists have been previously produced by LCT on its other stages. Andre's tenure at Lincoln Center Theater has also brought audiences various new plays by Tom Stoppard and David Hare and many celebrated revivals, among them LCT resident director Bartlett Shear's award-winning productions of South Pacific, Awake and Sing, Joe Turner's Come and Gone, The King and I, and My Fair Lady, as well as the premieres of such ambitious, thought-provoking musicals as A Light in the Piazza, also under Shear's direction, Parade, Contact, and Marie Christine. Andre's many honors include 17 Tony Awards for Best Production, a Special Drama Desk Award, and a Lucille Lortel Award for Outstanding Achievement for a Body of Work, especially in the development of new American plays and playwrights. He was inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame in 2012. Thank you so much for joining us, Andre. You're very welcome. I must say that list, I thought, who in God's name is she talking about? <laughs> well, I left a lot out. It was I guess a little difficult did. to condense it to just that. <laughs> well, yes, and then I thought, oh my God, I'm so old. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, thank you very much for asking me to be on the program. Well, thank you for joining us. And you're not old, you're prolific, as I have hopefully conveyed. You've been working in theater a, a very long time, um, doing a lot of work, I should say. Has there been anything comparable to, I guess this uh, is a rhetorical question, but has there been anything comparable to or that in, has in any way prepared you for the past six months? Uh, no. <laughs> I think there's no other answer but no, and I dare say Boy, there'd be very few people who would say anything but no. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've lived a good life and I've lived through some bad times like polio and the Cold War and, of course, the AIDS crisis and 
um, many other awful times that we've all gone through. But I must say, I've never been through anything like this uh, in in my life, certainly. Yeah. Uh, take us back to March and April of this year. I think it was March 12th. The announcement came down. All Broadway productions would be shuttered for about a month. And then off-Broadway, another live performance followed, and that shutdown got extended and extended until it finally took us into 2021. But what were those first days and weeks like for you uh, and your colleagues at Lincoln Center Theater and, and in the theater community, for that matter? Well, I think, I, I mean, I think those early days were, uh, I don't think we realized, and how could we have realized that it was going to last as long and be as serious as it was. You know, it suddenly, heard of this virus and then suddenly it was in New York and then suddenly people were getting it and suddenly we had to go home. And I remember I left my office, you know, with my briefcase with whatever was in it and that's about it. I thought, well, I'll be back in a week or two. I mean, that you know, naive today, but it, I, I, I think we, we didn't know what we were in for and we were optimistic that it would be short term and that there would be greater leadership than there has been um, in terms of dealing with it. Um, so I don't think it dawned on, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but the few people I do talk to and people on our staff, as well as myself, we, we weren't prepared for this. I, I don't think anyone was. We had no idea it would be this serious and would last this long. Was there a sense fairly early on of the community galvanizing after that period of shock and dismay? I, I know commercial producers and general managers in various parts of the country started taking part in Zoom sessions. I know you've been in a bunch of Zoom sessions strategizing. Was there, um, what was the activity like in the not-for-profit sector and, and at Lincoln Center Theater? Well, in, in the beginning, I don't think there was a lot of activity. I, I mean, I can't speak for other theaters, certainly at Lincoln Center Theater, what happened was that we we had three productions up. One was uh, towards the end of its run at LCT3. Um, the Headlands and one was Lynn Nottage and Ricky Ian Gordon's opera version of her play Intimate Apparel, which was probably two weeks perhaps into a four week preview period. And then we had James Lapine and Tom Kidd and Michael Corey's musical about Aldous Huxley, Cary Grant and Claire Booth Luce called Flying Over Sunset, which was the day we closed down was the day that was going to be our first preview. So what happened was the actors in the LCT3 play who were ending the run in a couple of days, they sort of, were getting nervous and they wanted, basically they wanted safety and out and we simply closed the show a little bit earlier. In the case of Intimate Apparel, we had to close down because everyone had to close down. And in the case of Flying Over Sunset, it wasn't a question of closing down because we never opened up. The season, such as it was up to that point, was kind of set 
So it wasn't like, oh my God, I've got to think about what we're doing in three months because I knew what we were doing in three months. I'm making that number up three months. It could have been two months or five months. I think, you know, we talked to the cast first about being careful before we realized that we had to shut down. And then, of course, when we shut down and we said, we'll be in touch as soon as we can be about the next steps. And uh, we thought the next steps would probably be reopening in the fall. And then it became clear sometime in July, and we waited to see what was going to happen, that they should be told that we were not going to reopen in the fall, and that we were hoping now to reopen in the spring of 2021. So that's where we are at this point. Right. And you do have, you know, you do have those plans. Uh, I don't believe there are specific dates yet, but you do have firm plans of as firm as any plans can be right now for the spring. Um, And I know Lincoln Center Theater was among the first to announce such plans. Uh, Yes, we wanted, you know, when you work in the theater, you live in hope. And then if you don't have what Kenneth Tynan, the great critic, referred to as cork-like buoyancy, you're not going to really make it. And um, we wanted to be positive and uplifting and forward thinking and we're going ahead. What we have discovered, of course, since then is that, as we all know, those of us who work in the theater and those of us who do millions of other jobs, not in the theater, you know, nothing is certain. No one really knows what the future holds. No one really knows when everyone is going to reopen again. Everyone knows when they want to, which was, you know, today. But I think taking an optimistic and hopeful point of view is the only way to be, uh, because that's the way you are in the theater anyway. Even if something like this didn't exist, you have to be optimistic and hopeful, of course. But I would say nothing is clear and nothing is definite. And those who think it is clear and definite are perhaps a little more hopeful than (laughs) they should be. But you never know. I mean, amazing things can happen. Yeah, yeah. Cockeyed optimist, to borrow a line from one of your great uh, productions yeah. several years ago. But but optimism is clearly and resilience are clearly uh, part of the program there. And you're dealing with with artists. Um, you mentioned a few of the great people involved in these productions and in Intimate Apparel, which is, I think, is that your first opera for Lincoln Center Theater? It is. We we've done a lot of. I guess the word well, certainly the word used to be through sung musicals starting when I was at Playwrights Horizons, when we did the early Bill Finn shows like March the Falsettos, which is basically through song. Certainly, Michael John LeCuse's Marie Christine was more opera than musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but the intimate apparel has, as you I'm sure know, come about through this arrangement we have with the Metropolitan Opera, where we right. have commissioned a a number of new works they have done too, and this is our first one uh, that we are doing. Right, with Bart Lachir, uh, product, uh rather directing, um, as he's directed for the Met as well. I know some of your directors have also, uh, you know, there's there's definitely um, cooperation there and, um, and synergy. Yes, well, they have the, the Met and Peter Gelb have been very collaborative. Peter loves the theater. And um, I mean, the theater is an art form and has, you know, liberally taken advantage of his love and knowledge of the theater by employing uh, a lot of theater artists to work at the Met. Yeah. And um, tell us a bit about um, Flying Over Sunset, because that sounds just wild. Um, (laughs) It involves 
uh, the folks you mentioned, Claire Booth Luce and Cary Grant and Aldous Huxley in 1950s Hollywood and uh, LSD. Well, it's probably a show that is not going to be what people think it is going to be. In the 1950s, uh, LSD was legal. If you had a prescription for it, it was used medicinally, uh, especially to help people psychologically. And it had nothing to do with the 60s and psychedelic and taking trips and, you know, kind of going crazy for fun. There was nothing fun about it. It was a serious drug that people usually administered to other people very carefully and with supervision. Anyway, the the fact of the matter is, is that Aldous Huxley, the great British essayist and novelist and thinker, was a great experimenter in drug taking uh, in the 40s and 50s. Cary Grant, you know, the famous movie star, had a lot of sort of psychological problems with his marriage and with his unhappy childhood. And he started taking the drug uh, under the supervision of his psychiatrist. And Claire Booth Luce did the same thing. And each of the three of them were taking the drug, and this is all true, Mm -hmm. to work out certain problems in their lives. In the case of Paul Huxley, it was the early death of his wife. In the case of Cary Grant, it was his unhappy marriage and his conflict with Hollywood and his own sexuality and his very unhappy upbringing. And Claire Booth Luce lost her mother and her daughter separately in car crashes. And these were three people who were looking for some kind of answer. So they all lived in California at that time and knew each other. Their meeting happened. They're taking the drug together, I think is sort of invention and the conceit of the authors that they take it together and come to certain realizations about their lives and their problems. It's very visually interesting and you can imagine they only sing when they take trips, LSD trips. But what the show really is about, interestingly enough, is is nothing flashy or, you know, high high toned. It's really about the unlikely coming together and friendship of three very different people, all of whom were under the supervision of this, at the time, well-known British poet named Gerald Hurd, who was a Buddhist and an experimenter in drugs. So the play is really about connection more than anything else. Very topical theme right now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Um, LSD has now come back in a way as uh, a a medicinal, if that's the correct word, tool. Yes, I think there was a book released recently that I was reading about, but there have been, it has gotten more focus in that capacity. and, And I would imagine that the way you describe it, there'll be some very intense emotional yes. uh, experience and interaction dealt with uh, through through music and word and um, and dance. I know Tony Yazbek is part of your cast, which uh, yes. an incredible dancer, singer. The, the whole cast looks terrific. So we're very much looking forward to that. Well, you know, he plays Cary Grant and Cary Grant was an old vaudevillian. I mean, that's how he started out was in British music hall, singing and dancing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully we will see that in the spring. Um, that's that's the plan right now. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the subjects of diversity and, and racial and social justice have obviously become bigger concerns in the months that live theater has been unavailable for a variety of reasons. Uh, a n- number of playwrights and other artists uh, that you've championed have been women and people of color. And I know you recently added Liliana Blaine 
Cruz, to your artistic staff as resident director. So tell us a bit about how you are meeting the responsibilities and the opportunities, really, that are posed by this moment at Lincoln Center Theater. We are meeting them and trying to meet them as effectively and as honestly as we can. We have made errors and mistakes in the past. We have not realized certain things that we should have realized. Uh, Certainly in terms of the programming of the Beaumont, uh, that's very clear. And what we're doing is we're trying to address the issues that people have brought up, specifically about Lincoln Center Theater, just in terms of the work. We're trying to address these issues head on. That's why Liliana was made, you know, a resident director along with Bard Shear. That's why those three playwrights were commissioned specifically to write plays for the Beaumont stage. What pleases me about it is that these were not people we kind of plucked out of the air. Uh, Liliana has directed three shows for us in the past. We've done plays by uh, Lynn, Lynn, her current adaptation of her play, Intimate Apparel, and Marco Ramirez, The Royale, and War by Brendan Jacob Jenkins. So these are artists that we've had a relationship with that we wanted to draw in more closely to the theater and to not just say what we were going to do, but to do what we are going to do. I think we are very committed to change and to a greater degree of inclusion and anti-racism, obviously, and we have a committee of the staff who is working very hard on that. And we're doing, I, I think, what we should be doing, which is facing up to our past and looking to admit it, change it, and create a better future for all of us. And I dare say a lot of theater companies that I know, you know, people who run them and I talk to a lot, a lot of theater companies have taken this challenge very seriously and are working very hard to to change their ways. And you'll be announcing uh, additional playwrights for your uh, new commissions program, I guess, yeah. in the months ahead? Eventually. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's everything takes longer because of this pandemic. I mean, it's it's such a peculiar situation to have deep conversations with people about very important topics. We are definitely going to add more playwrights to our commissioning program for the Beaumont and one or two more staff positions. But it, it all of this takes quite a lot of time because, you know, it's strange having serious, hopefully deep conversations about things that are highly important with people that you may know or you may not know, but they're not in person. Zoom calls are fine and you can see people and all of that, you know, not just see them, but see what room they're in and what kind of furniture they have. <laughs> um, but it, it's a different kind of reality. Uh, so it, it takes longer to get to know people on Zoom calls than it does if you meet them in a room and can sit in a chair and talk for an hour. But everyone is going through this, so. Yeah, and since theater is by nature so collaborative, so many different players are involved, I'd imagine, you know, setting things up where people can actually engage each other and have conversations about all the different topics has to present a challenge. It does, absolutely does. 
Yeah. Um, well, I know that Lincoln Center Theater has offered a few virtual programs to engage fans and, and families uh, during the COVID crisis. And uh, you've both streamed shows and made videos available on your site of artists and conversation, um, people involved in intimate apparel, for example. Is that something you've been actively involved in? Yes. I mean, I think and we're, we, we have a ways to go. I mean, I, I think the key that we all realize is that you have to keep in touch with people. You have to keep in touch with your audience. You have to keep in touch with your artists. You have to keep in touch with your donors. You have to keep in touch with your board and you have to keep in touch with your staff, with each other. And certainly these things that so many of us are, 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 are sending out, some quite elaborate, some rather simple, you know, webinars and streaming and all that are important to keep the idea that XYZ theater is a going concern and is out there. And here's an example of their work. I mean, we were very lucky that a number of our shows were able to be shown in various media because of the filming for live from, from Lincoln Center. So our production of Pipeline has been shown endlessly on various uh channels and the king and i and um act one we've had a lot of shows filmed by live from lincoln center and uh almost all of them have been allowed to be released for the general public to see so that's been a great great thing because they're always very well made very you know very professionally done have you gotten feedback from people who you know might not necessarily uh have been able to to come to New York to see these productions? I mean, I guess that's one. Uh... Yeah. I mean, I don't get so many letters, but the marketing department does. And um, I think people, you know, they are very appreciative of, I mean, we've had endless letters and I'm sure many other theaters who have this kind of thing do too about, you know, we had, we were unable to come to New York to see your production of act one or whatever. And it was so wonderful to be able to see it. And of course, it's for free in our living room, wherever. And, uh, and I, I did get a few letters. I mean, people rarely write me. Um, or if they do, the staff hides these letters. <laughs> from me. But I've gotten a few letters in the past over the summer from just people, I guess, some members. Uh, we don't have, as you know, subscribers. We have members. Or just gen the general public just saying, thank you so much. Please hang in there. You know, we're rooting for you. Or we've been going to Lincoln Center Theater for 30 years. Please, please take care of yourselves and your staff. It's been very moving to me. I mean, I'm not trying to say that 10 million letters like that arrive. But, you know, one letter like that is worth a million letters. Because yeah. it means so much to you. To me, anyway. And what's the morale been like among artists, the many artists that you work with? I think the morale is very mixed. Well, I think it's very mixed for all of us. I think these are perilous times on many levels, quite scary times, changing times. We have this virus. We have protest. Uh, we have anxiety caused by uncertainty. And I think artists, you know, performing artists, you know, they want to get out and act and sing and dance. That's what they do. And I think the other thing is, of course, there's great worry about money, about earning a living, about what's going to happen to their savings 
or their nest egg, what's going to happen to unemployment, all of that. So I think people, and it isn't just people in the arts, it's people in everything, are, are very concerned about their financial futures. And as the weeks go on, I think they get more concerned. Well, we all do. Yeah, weeks and months. <laughs> um, well, I do want to ask before you leave us about silver linings, which is what we've all been looking for right now. Um, wondering if the challenges that you faced this year encouraged you uh, or forced you, for that matter, to think outside the box more. Uh, and do you think they've provided lessons, not that you've not thought outside the box, but to, to maybe think in different ways? And uh, have you had lessons you can draw on as things slowly get back to normal whenever and whatever that will be? I would say yes and no. I mean, quite frankly, the bad things that have gone on, like this pandemic and the fear about this election are just bad things. And I don't think there's anything good to be taken from them. I think in terms of the fight for social justice, that is going to prove to have been a very positive moment in the history of this country. And in the history of the arts, I think thinking outside the box is good, but because of the constraints, the health and safety of human beings, artists, audience, front of house, backstage, people in the lobby, all that, you know, there's only so much you can do online. There's only so much streaming. There's only so many buoyant messages you can pump out and into the digital world so that I, for example, and others don't agree with me, I don't think that seeing a play in a thousand seat house like the Beaumont with only 75 people there all sitting half a mile apart wearing masks is thinking outside the box just to get the play on because you'd have to completely rethink the play, rethink the staging, rethink everything. And that rethinking is would not be artistic rethinking. It would be rethinking in terms of how the hell do we do this given the constraints we're under. So I, I, I'm not of the school that feels all of this is going to eventually turn out to be good and we will have a better theater for it. I think in terms of diversity and variety of work, yes, that is absolutely better, absolutely, lutely, lutely better. But in terms of how do you manage to get a play on, I, I'm not clear on that yet. And I suppose everyone says, well, when we have a vaccine that works. But uh, I think what I've learned, since that's what the question that you asked me, uh, I'm, I'm a kind of, I'm a warrior. I'm a sort of warrior, worried warrior, not warrior. warrior. <laughs> I wish I was more. Of you, you can be both. You can be both. Uh, what I've learned at a pretty, you know, having had a pretty long life and career is that I've learned as I had a lesson that I had learned when I was a kid and had a complicated childhood. I've learned how to survive in an atmosphere that I don't especially like or feel comfortable or I'm, in fact, rather frightened by. So I guess that's a positive, but I can't say that it's earth-shattering positive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. Well, hopefully uh, we'll be getting back to uh, live theater again. Uh, yes, I mean, I think, I think we absolutely will, and we must believe that we will, and we will. Yeah. Um, no question of that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Andre, and please stay safe. <laughs> well, thank you, and the same to you. To learn more about what's happening and what's planned at Lincoln Center Theater, visit lct.org. 
And for all things Broadway, and to find tickets to your next show, visit broadwaydirect.com. This podcast is produced by Broadway Direct and the Nederlander Organization with Iris Chan, Erin Pravaznik-Wagner, and hosted and produced by me, Elisa Gardner. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's only intermission, and we look forward to seeing you again on Broadway. Thank you.